Well, good morning, church. It's still morning, right? Um, it is such a privilege to come and preach and to uh, worship Christ with you all. Uh, I, I said this at the first service. I'll say it again. I want to apologize uh, at the start. I'm from California, and us Californians, as we have been making the exodus into Colorado, have driven prices through the roof. And I wish I could say it's not our fault, but it is. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, But in all seriousness, um, I've heard a lot about RP and the kind of uh, gospel culture that is here, that the Lord has wrought in this community where the gospel is not just a tagline, but actually the air that you all breathe. And I get to witness that this morning and I praise God and celebrate his grace at work in you all. So with that, let's pray again as we settle into this passage before us. Lord, we need you. We need to hear from you. We need your word. We need to hear this good news of the gospel again this morning. Would you encourage the hearts of your people today? For those who have yet to trust in you, God, would we all together cling to Christ alone, our only hope, Thank you for your love. Thank you for being such a good and merciful Heavenly Father, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Don't look down. Don't look down. These are the famous words that we're familiar with as we've seen plenty of movies where we see people scaling across rickety bridges or scaling across narrow mountain passes. Don't look down. Maybe even some of you have done a bit of this self-talk as you've gone on excursions since it's Colorado and you guys do some crazy stuff out here. Don't look down. The intent behind this word of instruction is to not gaze into the abyss and source of worry and anxiety and impending death. And even if you aren't a mountain climber, We all know what this is like because we all worry. All of us here, even coming into this space, into this sanctuary, we're coming in with all sorts of fears and anxieties and worries. We're worried about our jobs. We feel as if there's a a pressing weight upon our shoulders at work and in the home. We're worried about that next exam that's coming up. We're so afraid of what people think about us. The fear of man is a snare. And in light of the past events, this past couple of weeks, fear and anxiety and worry even follow us into the supermarket and into the elementary schools. Life is dangerous. This place, which is not Eden, is broken and fallen We live in a dangerous world with limited resources. But here in this text, as Jesus is teaching on this mount, Jesus is saying, do not be anxious. Essentially, what he's saying is, don't look down. Don't look down and gaze into the abyss. But where is he redirecting our focus? 
right? He says, don't look down. Where, where ought we to look? And here in this text, Jesus is saying, don't look down, but instead look up. And so Parker, redemption amidst all your fears and anxieties and worries that you're bringing to the table this morning, what Christ is speaking to us in his word through this passage is not to look down, but to look up at God, our heavenly father and God's heavenly kingdom. God, our heavenly father and God's heavenly kingdom. And this essentially is the structure of the sermon. Don't look down, look up. Point one, at God as our heavenly father. And point two, God's heavenly kingdom. So Jesus says, look up. But before then, he says, don't look down. Look with me at verse 25, chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So here we see Jesus addressing the issue of worry and anxiety. But before we get into the content of what Jesus is saying, we we have to ask the question, who is this? Who is this man? This is the greatest sermon ever preached Because this is the greatest preacher who ever walked the earth. At the start of this entire section of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, verse 1, Matthew writes, Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so for us this morning, as we see Christ, as we hear his word, As he is speaking to anxious hearts, we, like the disciples, are called to come before him, to sit at Jesus' feet, and to hear our great king authoritatively answer and address our biggest concerns. And so, in the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus opens this section on anxiety. And the kind of anxiety and worries that Jesus is addressing is the kind of rumination, the kind of meditation on the things which consume our thought life, the space in our mind. And the thing about worrying and anxiety is it's pretty aimless. There's no real end to it. I don't know if you've been in this place, like I've never worried and then thought, wow, that was that was great. This is an hour of worrying, and I feel like I've really accomplished a lot. Right? It's like kicking a can down the road. There's no point. This is why Ed Welch says from his book, Running Scared, he says this, The odd thing is that fear and anxiety are running away from something, but they don't know what to run to. They know danger, but they don't know where to find peace and rest. But once again, I don't have to convince you too hard on the experience of worry and anxiety since all of us are on a spectrum, whether it's low grade, kind of stewing under the surface anxiety, or whether you're on the far end of the spectrum and it's debilitating and you feel like you can't get out of bed and perhaps it's clinical. We all know what it's like to worry, 
And here in this specific passage, Jesus is addressing a specific kind of worry about food and clothing. And this makes sense because of what he just taught in the previous passage. In the previous passage, Jesus is saying, don't lay up treasures on earth. If you lay up treasures on earth, it's not going to last. The rest will get to it. The moths will eat it away. Lay up treasures in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy. And so Jesus, he's genius. Of course he is. He's the son of God. He's anticipating the next question from the disciples. Well, if I'm to lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth, what about life here right now? How will I be provided for? What about food? What about clothing? Which is why we see in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. So Jesus says, don't worry. Don't look down. And now Jesus directs our gaze upward, which leads us to the first object of our gaze, God as Heavenly Father. In this whole passage on anxiety, Jesus gives many reasons not to worry. There's lots of things that Jesus says as reasons not to worry. At one point, he says, don't worry because worrying won't add even an hour to your life. He says in verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But here in this passage, in verses 26 through 30, Jesus, sitting on this Galilean mountainside, is drawing his, his listeners' attention to his own creation. He says, look at the birds of the air. Jesus is advocating for his disciples then and now to go birdwatching. So don't make fun of birdwatchers. Jesus was a bird watcher and he's commanding and bidding us that we watch the birds too. And when we watch the birds, we learn a massive lesson. It's that God provides for the birds of the air. Won't he provide for you? You're a child of God. If he provides for the birds, certainly he'll provide for you. And that's what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And so Jesus uses this illustration. First he says, don't worry about food. And then he says, here's an illustration, look at the birds. And when we see the birds, we perceive and understand that birds are not made in the image of God. Birds, even if they could speak, they cannot cry out to God as Father. They can, even if, if, if they could speak, they could cry out Creator, but not Father. And yet, in the second half of verse 26, Jesus says, Your heavenly Father feeds them. Do you see that? Your heavenly Father feeds them. Those who've been rescued by Christ, those who have found that they have their only hope set in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished at the cross and in his resurrection are found to be sons and daughters of the Father who is in heaven. And so this is why 
Jesus says that the children of God are more precious than the birds. And this is why Jesus says, don't worry. You're more valuable than the birds. God will take care of you. And Jesus does the same thing with the lilies, the flowers of the field. Look at verse 30 with me. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God provides clothing. This is beautiful language. He provides clothing for the grass of the field by springing out of the ground flowers of his creative power, which are beautiful. And yet, even the flowers, they, they, they wither up and die as quickly as they spring up and bloom. And so in this illustration, Jesus is, is connecting this back to what he said. Don't be anxious about clothing. Don't be anxious about clothing. Look at how God clothes the fields. And flowers, like the birds, cannot cry out, Abba, Father. We see a great contrast here between the children of God and the flowers of the field. Flowers and grass, according to Jesus, are fuel for the fire. The children of God, those who are in Christ by faith, are not fuel for the fire, but they're spared from the burning flood of God's righteous wrath against sin. And so Jesus here is saying, do not worry. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothing. God provides for the birds, for the flowers in these ways. And you are children of God if you are in Christ. And if you are children of God, won't he provide for you? And you might be thinking, well, this sounds great and all. This sounds really nice, but how does this actually affect me positively in the midst of anxieties and worry? When my heart is riddled with fear, how does this actually land? Is this just pie in the sky theology? And according to Jesus, no, it is not. This is exactly what our anxious hearts need to hear. And this is the application. This is what Paul is referring to in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he says, we behold, we behold the glory of the Lord and are transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. We, in our anxieties, we behold the glory of a gracious and loving and kind heavenly father who provides for our needs. We behold him and that actually is doing something to us. That doesn't necessarily mean the fears just magically disappear. But he is with us in our fears. He is a safe refuge in the moment when fear is hitting the hardest. J.I. Packer in his seminal work, Knowing God, he starts off the book with a really great illustration. He says, theology and engaging with God and with the Holy Scripture is kind of like a little city and town where you have balconiers who are standing on balconies and you have travelers in the road. 
You have these balconiers who, who stand up above the city and they're looking down and they see all the streets and they see the intersections and they see the hustle and bustle. They see the dangers, they see the joys, they see the park and everything going on. And they could think about it and they could, and they could pontificate about what's happening and going on. But then there's the travelers. Then there's those who are actually roaming and walking through the streets. There are those who are engaged in the actual city and landscape. And that's what God is calling for us to do. Not to merely just know, oh yeah, I know that God is my father. And yeah, there's Romans 8 and we cry out Abba Father. And we know theoretically that God is our provider That's not what God is calling us to, but to take it deeper. To not just be hearers of the word, but be doers. To be clinging and holding fast to the one who, as our father, is holding us fast. My wife, right now, is at home taking care of our three young children. I have three beautiful and healthy children, but it was not easy getting them into this world. My wife, for our first child and our third, in both instances, nearly died. And I was in the labor and delivery room, and, as, and as, for, for our third, the most recent, as my wife is literally on her deathbed, we don't know what's going to happen, I could see the life start to leave her eyes. And in that moment, I don't need a theological article about God and how he is my father. I do need that, but more than that, I need God in that room. I need a God who is my father, who I'm holding fast to, knowing that he is holding me and providing for us, even if I don't understand it. This is what God is calling us to. And this is what Jesus is drawing our attention to as warriors, as anxious people who move through life with all sorts of pain and suffering. And it's ironic because the one who is telling us not to be anxious because you have a caring, loving, heavenly father. The one who is speaking to us is the very proof and culmination of God's love toward us. He is the one who is the premier, the prime example of God's paternal, fatherly love toward us. God did not leave us in our sins Though we would have deserved to spend an eternity separated from him, yet he sent his only son, his only son to purchase us, to ransom us, to forgive us of all of our sins, that, uh, that all of our debt before him would be removed, that God would drop our sins into the sea of his forgetfulness. And not only that, not only debt removed, but he would call us Son, daughter, in Christ. Jesus is the premier example of God's care and love for anxious people. And I can't think of anything more anxious 
and troubling, then the wrath of God hanging over me and abiding over me, and yet God in his mercy gave his only son. If you are not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, the Bible says that you don't know God the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And we think troubles and cares and worries about food and clothing are bad. But how about an eternity separated from the grace of God, living in anguish and torment forever and ever? Turn to Christ, rest in him, and so be called a child of God, forgiven, cleansed by the blood of Christ. This is good news indeed. So again, this text, Jesus is calling us to not look down, but to look up, to see a God who is not only God the creator, but God our Heavenly Father in Christ. Look up, see, see Him there. Look higher than the birds of the air and see a loving and caring and providential God who is out for your good. And we not only look to God our Father, we also look to His kingdom. That brings us to the second object of our gaze, God's heavenly kingdom. Look with me at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus here, he's directing our gaze toward the kingdom of God. And it's important to note that Jesus here In this text, he's providing for us a contrast. He says, but seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, he's saying, rather seek after the kingdom of God. Instead, seek after the kingdom of God. And the thing that he's contrasting here in this text is the alternative ways in which the unbelieving world around us lives and operates. Jesus, in verse 31, describes the kinds of things that Gentiles, the unbelieving world, are consumed about and orbiting around. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? It's this rapid-fire question, but it doesn't allow any room for any kind of understanding that God is Father and that this actually sheds light on these questions. It's actually pretty pagan, this description, these questions. This is why Robert Mounts writes this, worry is practical atheism, and it's an affront to God. And yet it's understandable that those who do not know God as Heavenly Father would be consumed with worries and would be consumed with things that they think will bring them some sort of peace and comfort and security. It's really understandable. If you do not know God as Father, well, who's going to provide for me? I have to look out for number one. 
However, for those who are in Christ, we are called to live a different way. Again, verse 33. But rather, instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek the kingdom of God. But what does this mean? We know this verse. It's a really popular verse. It's a coffee cup and refrigerator magnet kind of verse because it's so awesome, right? And yet it's familiar and the danger with familiarity is that we could become so familiar, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, his righteousness, that we could forget and lose the meaning behind what is Jesus saying here when he says, seek after the kingdom. It can seem at first glance a bit random to the discussion on anxiety, But this has everything to do with our worries and cares. The kingdom of God is the domain of God's rule and authority and control. This is the sphere and realm of his sovereign kingship. Where God rules and reigns. I don't know if you've seen Lord of the Rings. This is like smog under the mountain, right? As R.T. France writes, the phrase the kingdom of God points not to a specific situation or event, but to God in control. And in verse 33, Jesus Christ is commanding his followers to seek after the kingdom of God, his rule, his authority, his will, the kingdom ethics, his ways, as opposed to seeking after the kingdom of self. Seek after God's kingdom, not yours. When anxiety and fears strike, the natural response in a broken and fallen world is to cave in on oneself, to self-preserve, to not look out and up to God, but to say, how can I provide for myself? How can food and clothing and 401ks and stocks, how can these things provide for me a hedge, security, This kind of self-sufficient anxiety is the anti-Matthew 6.33. It's the anti-Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of self and nothing will be handed to you. But instead, Jesus calls his followers to seek after God's ways, to live in light of his rules, his statutes, kingdom ethics. And this is so countercultural. The Sermon on the Mount, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is. Really? Pray so that you're not seen by others? That doesn't make sense. Really? Give your life away for the sake of the gospel? Store up treasures in heaven and not on earth? To the world, that makes no sense at all. And yet, as God's people... We are free in Christ to live this kind of way because we have been made children. This is the argument that Jesus is making. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God if you are in Christ by faith. And if you are a child of God, then you are provided for. You don't need to worry about providing for yourself. That's what he says here in the text. 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. You don't have to worry about providing for yourself. Ultimately, God is the one who provides. That doesn't mean we quit our jobs. That doesn't mean we abandon responsibility. But we know that it is God who ultimately provides for us because he is our father and we are his children. And so, because of this, Jesus is saying this is the freest place to be able to put your hand to the plow. To seek after God's kingdom instead of seeking after your kingdom because God is providing for you. You don't need to worry about that. And this is where God is calling us to walk as travelers through the streets of our theology instead of just pontificating and intellectualizing about the kingdom of God. So the question is, what is God calling you to? today, this week, this month? How is God calling you, RP, to abandon your self-kingdom projects and to seek after his kingdom because you're a child? You don't have to worry. He's going to provide for you. In what ways is God calling you to this? This might look like, I know this is for me, this is, this is where I'm camping out and living in right now. You don't have to fear man. You don't have to care and be consumed about what other people think of you because you already know what God the Father thinks of you. Therefore, this is such a free place to actually care about the person in front of you instead of thinking about the next thing to say when they're done speaking. We've all been here. This might look like thinking through, okay, I'm, I know I'm holding on too tight to my own resources, to the gifts that God's given me. What might it look like to repent and to seek after the kingdom of God and to store up treasures in heaven and not on earth? What might this look like for you? And we have all sorts of worries and anxieties. So the application here is endless. And so the question to you this morning is whatever it is, think deeply about the ways you are anxiously building your own kingdom. Think deeply about the ways in which you are self-preserving and not trusting in the Lord who is your father. And what does it look like to turn away from these kingdom projects? And what does it look like to seek after his kingdom, to seek after him, to see his righteousness on display. What does this look like? To seek after God's kingdom is a really tall order, and I'm preaching this knowing full well all the little ways and big ways that I am prone to building up my own kingdom. This is a really tall order. And yet... We don't put our hand to the plow and seek after the kingdom of God in fear as if we are slaves, but you have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, you put the hand to the plow as those who are the children of God. Those who will be provided for, those who have received everything that you need in Christ. 
whether it's much or little in this life. We've learned the secret. Church, we've learned the secret to facing plenty and little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Church, as you are tempted to look down today, this week, as you're tempted to look down and be paralyzed and crippled with the worries and fears of your heart, hear Jesus' word to you this morning. Look up. Look up and behold. Not to theologically assent in a theoretical kind of way, but behold God your heavenly father, the one who provides for you. If he didn't spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all things? And to look and to see the kingdom of God, to abandon our own kingdom projects and to say, Lord, you have freed me because I'm a child of God. I don't have to fear about if I'm going to have enough, I'm going to put my hand to work. I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. May this be so in Parker, in Orange County, that the earth would be full of the glory of God, that we would see his kingdom come. Let's pray, church. Father, I confess so often I am seeking out my own glory. I'm seeking for my name to be hallowed, for my kingdom to come, for my will to be done. Oh God, would you free all of us here? Would you free us in this gospel, this good news that we have been forgiven of all of our sins and we have been made the children of God. Therefore, we can truly, genuinely plead that your will would be done, that your name would be hallowed, Father God, that your kingdom would come. Would you do this in our hearts, in our homes, in this city? God, would you do this? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.